Reading now from the Gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who had, he highly valued and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke likes the word amazed. He uses it 14 times in his gospel, another 10 times in the book of Acts. As Luke tells that people are frequently amazed at God's works, at what God is doing among them, how God is active. I hope you've been amazed at God's work recently. The first step in order to be amazed is to notice. We have to pay attention. We're amazed by that which we don't expect. But too often the unexpected passes right by us without even a thought. Or maybe it's that we've come to expect too much so that our threshold for amazement is quite high. I have passed by too many of God's good works to be smug about this. But I am sometimes impressed by what God does in creation. Trees and plants and flowers, how they are recreated each year. When I don't rush right by it, I look at that thorny stick that I cut down to, to just the barest, deadest looking piece of wood last fall. And then somehow, by God's grace, green shoots have come from it. And then from those green shoots, beautiful, colorful roses have come from it. In my backyard right now, I look at these green plants that I have done nothing to since the day I put them in the ground. And they're turning white and fragrant. These gardenias, amazing. But it's not nature in Luke's gospel that people are amazed by. It's the unnatural, the unexpected, the break from normalcy. Shepherds and prophets reveal who this Christ child will be and the people who hear their revelation are amazed. 
Jesus speaks with an authority that, they should not, that he should not have had, and people who listen to his words stand amazed. He overcomes the laws of nature, the powers of evil, the brokenness of this world, and those things that people had just accepted as this is how life is. And the people around Jesus stand amazed. They run to the tomb where dead people stay dead. And when they find he's not there, they are amazed. It's the same in Acts over and over. God does works and the people who observe these works, who who have enough attentiveness to notice what God has done, are amazed. In every Lucan instance, save one. God is the one who amazes. The people are amazed. The only time when Luke shares that it is God who is amazed by the work of the people is when a Roman centurion believes that Jesus can heal. A centurion has faith enough to amaze Jesus. Now we hear that word centurion so much that we think, well, that's just what centurion might do. But let me remind you, a centurion is a soldier, a leader of soldiers in the Roman army, the occupying Roman army, the the people that the people of Israel want out of their land, one of their leading oppressors who's sending around his soldiers to make sure that the people are kept intact, as Rome would demand, his faith, is what amazes Jesus. This man of influence, this man of power, when he said jump, they asked how high. When he said build a synagogue, they said, where do you want it? The Jews vouched for that. He's been good to us, they tell Jesus, as a way of encouraging Jesus to be good to him. Their benefactor. Their benefactor who works for the oppressive government. The centurion was a Gentile, which means he did not build that synagogue for his own place to worship. We don't know exactly why he chose to build that synagogue for those people. What we do know is that a Gentile, Jesus would have been ceremonially unclean had he gone into the centurion's home, had he gone to minister to him there. The centurion likely knew that. Jesus certainly knew that. Despite knowing that, Jesus was on his way to the centurion's home to go and heal. Jesus was on his way to the home when the centurion sent the elders to go and tell him, don't come. You don't need to come. He, a powerful man, knew he needed Jesus' help. But he didn't need him in his house in order for him to help. It's interesting in this story, we've got Jews and Gentiles working together on behalf of a Roman centurion to help a slave to get healed. A lot of worlds coming together in one story. All because they saw that there was need and they thought they knew who could help the need. The slave needs healing. 
even if he's a centurion slave. This Gentile needs God's care, even if he's not a Jew. This enemy of ours has been good to us. Can we be good to him? With all that stood to keep them apart, it was need that brought them together. It was need that brought Jesus among them. And even so, he did not have to go all the way. Don't come, the centurion's friends told Jesus. And then they quoted the centurion. They said to him, just just heal him from where you are. Because when the centurion says, do something, it's done. And this centurion believes that when you say, do something, it will be done. Amazing, Jesus says. Amazing. All these people who have the prophecies, who have a relationship with the living God, who have me in their midst, miss that? And the Gentile Roman soldier gets it? Jesus was amazed, and having never met the centurion, and having never touched this slave, the slave gets healed. Now you could argue that what amazes Jesus is merely the unexpected, that Jesus expected the centurion to be demanding, condescending, skeptical. You come to me, Jesus, and we'll see if you can do anything at all that is actually helpful. Pastors get used to that kind of invitation. Here's Jesus. Could he do anything at all? That's the kind of reception you'd expect Jesus to get. But instead, a Roman centurion seeing value in a Gentile rabbi. It's amazing. And yet even more so is that a Roman centurion recognized what so many who had every clue to recognize did not see. The way we walk by a flower that is in its prime and don't even notice it. Plenty of people passed a manual. God with us. And looked the other way. While a Roman centurion, someone who never met Jesus, Believed that by speaking the word, his slave could be healed. Amazing. I have to tell you that my biggest hang-up with stories like these, healing stories, is not whether or not Jesus had the power to do it, whether or not it was true that Jesus could do this thing. My biggest hang-up is why he didn't do this thing for everybody. I don't get as concerned with the possibility. I get concerned by the particularity. Every time I read a story like this, I think, what about the slave who wasn't healed? What about the bleeding woman who continued to bleed? Those blind men who died blind. What about them? It's a curse I inherited. My parents are so devoted to equality that when one of us opens up our presents at Christmas, 
It usually will include some kind of like $5 pair of socks or a piece of chapstick, and we realize that that's because some other sibling had received something that was more valuable and the weight had to be equaled out. I'll get a check in the mail, and I'll say, what was this for? Well, we took your sisters out to dinner, and we wanted everything to be equal. I want God to be like that. I want everyone healed. I can't help but feel that there's an injustice when not everyone is. If I was in Israel with Jesus' amazing wonder working going on, I would have been the one saying, great for that guy, now don't forget this one over here. I doubt I would have been alone in that. There's a saying I'm trying to adopt into my life. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. It's not that different than don't let the pursuit of perfection get in the way of the good. I can't visit everyone I would like to. I can't care for everyone who I want to. That shouldn't stop me from caring for some. But still, I can't help but think, couldn't Jesus? I can't tell you why Jesus didn't heal everyone he encountered. feels like he could have. What I do know is that while I'm wondering about the justice of it all, Gentiles and Jews were working together to get Jesus' attention so that that slave could be healed. For good reason. Jesus did not not heal that slave because for whatever reason he was not going to heal every slave. Jesus did for that one what I wish he would do for everyone. Maybe that's what I need to accept. I don't get to force God's hand. I don't get to tell God when to interrupt the everyday normal progression of disease and progression and, and brokenness. But I do get to ask for God's intervention. I, a Gentile, get to ask Jesus who has never entered my home, who I've never seen in person, to use the power and the authority that I trust He has to speak healing into this life. And then I hope he does. Jesus was impressed. Amazed. By some, what someone who had never met him believed about him. Could I similarly impress Jesus? A word about that. There are enough healing stories from Jesus' day and since to let us know that Jesus isn't waiting for a certain level of amazement to begin his work healing. It's not a belief talent show, some kind of America's Got Faith that initiates Jesus into the work of healing. Jesus is working for healing. He's been doing that forever. But I do like the idea of impressing Jesus. So often in the Gospels, it's the lack of faith that makes an impression on Jesus. What if we learn from this outsider to trust Jesus, the, the God who created with a word and, and healed with a word is still at work healing with his power? What, what if instead of 
Jesus lamenting our lack of faith, he was amazed by our belief. The challenge then becomes growing our faith. There's no vitamin for that. Some have compared it to a muscle. The more you practice believing, the stronger your faith becomes. Makes sense. But it's hard to know how to start. If I were you, I wouldn't make your first start pouring 12 jars of water on a firewood and then asking God to set it alight. But that's just me. Maybe your first step, my first step, should be to notice the good things that God is already up to and give thanks. And maybe as you're doing that, you'll remember a prayer that you uttered, uh, perhaps without much sincerity or, or even trust that it could happen. That a teenager who was going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life and is now lifeguarding at a pool. Maybe you'll remember that prayer and give thanks. And then maybe you'll wonder, what else can God do? What else is God doing? If the first step of being amazed is noticing, then maybe the first step of amazing Jesus is noticing what he's up to. And if his ongoing work impresses you and your being impressed by him impresses him, we might just get somewhere with this faith thing. We might one day be able to say, Lord, I believe that you can say the word and my friend can be healed. Then, of course, our belief in his power must turn to trust in his wisdom. We have to let God heal as God chooses, which might not be the way we choose, but that's a sermon for another day.